Crime Conversations bring together the biggest names in true crime, recorded live at CrimeCon London 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk. Welcome to Crimepedia, live at CrimeCon UK. We are your hosts. I am Morgan, and with me, as always, is the lovely Cherry. Hello, Cherry. Hello, and welcome to Crime Corn. How exciting is this? Very exciting. Very exciting. Very, very exciting. So thank you for joining us today. Today, we have got a very special guest with us. Um, we are talking to the lovely LaDonna Humphrey, uh, the author of the book, The Girl I Never Knew, Who Killed Melissa Witt? So on the 1st of December 1994, 19-year-old Melissa Ann Witt, who was known as Missy, went to meet her mum at Bowling World in Fort Smith in Arkansas, where she worked. Now, Melissa didn't make it inside to meet her mum, and in the car park, her keys were found by a passerby and handed in to staff. The passerby didn't notice, but actually one of her hoop earrings was also found, along with her hair clip. Now, Melissa's blood was also found at the scene, and there were signs of a scuffle. Unfortunately, there was no CCTV in the Bowling World car park or in the immediate vicinity, and now Melissa had vanished without a trace. Now, 45 days later, on the 13th of January 1995, two hunters were hunting near Turner's Bend in the Ozark National Forest, where they discovered a female body. Now, they thought that it was a mannequin, as you do, and they soon discovered that they were actually wrong. Unfortunately, it was the body of Melissa Witt. Melissa was found naked. She had no jewellery on and was missing her very distinctive Mickey Mouse watch. Now, the frantic hunters immediately called the Franklin County Sheriff's Department. Upon, re- upon receiving this news, Sheriff Kenneth Ross contacted Detective Sergeant Chris Boyd with the Fort Smith Police Department Major Crimes Unit. The case was opened and the investigation began. LaDonna Humphreys worked as a victim's advocate for missing adults, and on the 13th, January 1995, she was driving on her way to Fort Smith, listening to the radio as she and most of the world were invested in the O.J. Simpson trial, and prosecutors believe that O.J. had dropped a glove as he attempted to sneak back into his mansion the night of the Simpson-Goldman murders. There was another announcement on the radio that a body had been found in the Ozark National Forest that jolted her back, uh, back to home and she heard that authorities were on the scene. From that moment on, LaDonna had been obsessed with the Melissa Witt case. So let us introduce you to the lady herself, LaDonna Humphrey. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming and talking to us. You've become pretty involved in this case, and it was very quickly that you became involved in it, and it's actually taken over your life, I think. I think that's fair to say. I've been very invested um, for the past seven years and have pretty much worked the case almost every day. Now, you've commissioned a a documentary and you've written an absolute brilliant book, The Girl I Never Knew. As the title suggests, you actually didn't know Melissa, although you did have mutual friends. Can you tell us a little bit about Melissa herself? What kind of girl was she? Yeah, Melissa was, um, you know, a 19 year old, she was a college student and just very fun loving, very kind. You know, I've spent endless hours um, conducting interviews with friends and people that knew Melissa worked with her and they all say the same thing. She never met a stranger. She was just full of life and um, was a friend to everyone. And I think that's probably one of the things that makes this murder 
even more horrific is that she didn't have any enemies and she had her whole life ahead of her and this person stole it from her. And I've known you, I've known you now for about three, about three years. And I've looked into the Melissa Wick case a lot and we've talked about it a lot. And now when I see her picture, it's like seeing somebody I know. It's a straight, you know, you recognize her straight away and you sort of see her. So tell us a bit about the book. What made you decide to write this book in the first place? You know, I'd been working the case for so long um, with the premise of this documentary that we've been working on and just pushing for justice um, in her case. And a couple of things happened that really helped um, push the book along. And that was one, of course, COVID happened and we've got this worldwide pandemic. And so people are at home and I am not the type of person who can just be stagnant over something that I'm passionate about. And so I thought to myself, what can I do? I have to continue to propel Melissa's case. And that's really where the idea of the book came from, because one of the things that's happened over the past seven years is that people are constantly asking me questions about the case. And that's great and good. Um, And I love answering that in hopes of bringing closure to Melissa's case. But the book was really born to be able to tell who Melissa was, tell her story, and perhaps um, stir up some new leads in the case. And so, um, you know, I I put together an outline and um, sent it to some publishers and the rest is history. It's amazing. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. Thank you. How easy did you find researching the book? Was law enforcement uh, helpful? You know, um, research, I think, for any project is always very difficult, but I had worked this case for so long and have so many connections in the Fort Smith area that it was actually, you know, I'd already gathered most of this knowledge in my research for the case. But along the way, law enforcement had been incredibly helpful. They continued to ask questions. They consulted with me as I wrote the book. And, um, you know, I had some other professionals in the Fort Smith area too, you know, judges, um, prosecuting attorneys, and different people who would help me compile the information or answer questions if I had it. So it was a, it was a long process, but I had a lot of support. So did you find that there were any obstacles when you were researching for the book? I mean, um, yes and no, there are always obstacles, um, in any kind of case. I think, you know, the biggest thing that you run across to in a cold case is that it's 27 years old. Mm. And um, during that time period, you know, people can die. And we've had that happen in this case. Um, You know, people, you know, change jobs, you know, they move away. Um, You know, so that can be an obstacle. And, you know, we did face some of that. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that I have been um, fairly efficient at is really keeping those connections of those people to the case close, um, no matter who it is. And I think that helped overcome some of those obstacles. Um, and then of course you've always got people who are just going to be critical of what you do <laughs> in a cold case, you know, right. Yeah, because of you know, So there's been a lot of that, but I do not let that deter me. You know, the goal is justice for Melissa. So everybody else can move out of the way. And I love that, that that that's what your goal is. The goal is justice for her. No matter what else you encounter, that's always the end goal. And I think that's really, really important to to keep that in mind for people, that that is what you're doing this for. Absolutely, because people, you know, 
people can be critical and they have been and they will be and they will continue to be. Um, you know, I've had people accuse me of doing this for some sort of um, financial compensation or for some sort of, you know, uh, notoriety. And that's neither no. one is even a possibility in this case, because I've spent so much of my own time and money for mm -hmm. seven years. Um, everything that we do now, the book, the documentary, it's all to help further her case. It will go for DNA testing, um, anything that's needed, rewards. This is all about getting justice for her. And I just ignore the critics. I know why I'm doing what I do and I have a job to do and that, and that's what I'm going to stay focused on. Good. So in the book, you talked about visiting the scene where Melissa's body was found. This part of the, this part of the story was really, um, I think it was, it was really touching for me. How was it when you actually got there? Did it make you feel closer to her? You know, visiting the crime scene was a life changing experience for me. One, it was just frightening to be there and to know the fear that she would have felt that night that her killer took her there and then, you know, stole her life. But I was so incensed that, you know, he, this killer took her, he murdered her and he just left her body there. Like it didn't matter. Mm. And she did matter. She had her whole life ahead of her. So I think being a mom myself and being out there, uh, being horrified by this unsolved crime, um, it, it changed me in so many ways and on so many levels. And when I was out there that day, I vowed to find her killer. I promised her that I would, and I'm going to, and I'm not going to stop until I do. And that is a life-changing moment that not everybody can understand or appreciate, but, um, you know, it's, it's what happened to me. And I think that's what happens to most people that do go out there and actually experience it for themselves. Now you had access to all of the case files to this case, of course, but you also had access to Melissa's diary. Now tell us, tell us about this diary. How did it feel getting inside the really personal thoughts of Melissa? And did you find that this had an effect on you? Uh, you know, I have been um, very blessed and appreciative to law enforcement for allowing me to have access to those case files, because I think it's very helpful to have, you know, that uh, kind of in my back pocket as I'm learning about the case and fighting for justice. But as part of that, they did want me to read her diary and I wanted to read it, but I was also very afraid to read it because it was, it was her private thoughts. Um, I did. I was so emotional when I read it. You know, you, it's like a roller coaster because you're reading some of her happiest moments, some of her most disappointing moments, um, you know, being frustrated, all those emotions. And it made me feel like I knew her, you know, in the book, I write about it being, you know, a, a magical experience. And it was in a lot of ways, it was like visiting an old friend. And, you know, I know Melissa now in a way that most people who knew her while she was alive never did, because these were her personal private thoughts. And so it did change me, it made me even more determined to find her killer. You know, I remember thinking to myself, how dare he? How dare he do what he did? And I think that when you've got that, the you're reading somebody's diary, it's the thoughts that they write down thinking that nobody's ever going to read it. So it's like a really honest representation of their thoughts and feelings. And to be able to sit there and read through that and to see her handwriting, 
no, that's the thing I think that got me to see her handwriting. She's not here anymore. And you can sort of read it in her own words. And I think that kind of makes you, like you say, a bit angry and a bit, I think, a bit that you just, it, it sort of gives you that extra push because she's, you're as close to her as you're, you're ever going to get at that point. Uh, you're absolutely right. You know, you've got these pages open of this precise feminine handwriting that is writing about, you know, what happened in school, you know, the joy over some Christmas gifts. And I think one of the things that got me, and I still get emotional thinking about it, is that she wrote about that Mickey Mouse watch that she received a year before she was murdered. And I remember I wept. I was so sad that she um, had 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 those words written about how excited she was only to know that the man who would kill her would also steal that watch. And I think it, it, it served as two things for me. It served as fuel for my passion, but it also, it did, you know, kind of what you said, it, it kind of cemented that I have a special relationship with Melissa now too, that's much different than anybody else will ever have. Mm. And, um, she was a beautiful person and, um, she deserved to have a long, beautiful life. And he took that from her. So I think this is the best that all of us who love Melissa and, and what justice can do now is just fight, fight for her. So tell us a bit about the suspects that have come to light in the case. I know there's some that we're not allowed to talk about, so we won't, we won't talk about those because of legal reasons, but tell us about some of the suspects that we can talk about. You know, we've looked really, really hard um, at a man named Larry Swearingen. Um, you know, he killed another 19-year-old college student named Melissa Trotter in Texas. He kidnapped her. He drove her an hour away to a national forest where he strangled her and left her. And he has ties to Arkansas. Um, investigators were able to, you know, track him to Arkansas just a couple of days before Melissa Witt was murdered. Um, and he was about two hours away. And so we've spent a significant amount of time um, looking at Swearingen. He was eventually executed in um, the murder of Melissa Trotter in Conroe, Texas. And he, he will remain the number one suspect in the Witt case um, until we can either find evidence that he was in Fort Smith and we can tie him to Melissa or until we can clear him. Um, mm. And that's been a frustrating process, quite a journey. I mean, he when we first when we first looked at this case, we were both set on it being Larry Swearingen straight away. That was what we, we both first were like, it's got to be him. He's he's murdered a girl in very similar circumstances to Melissa, and he's not far from the area. And we were straight away. That was our first thought, wasn't it? That we were convinced that's who it was. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, I'm pretty. I'm, I mean, sitting here now, obviously he he would be one of my top suspects, if not, you know, the suspect just because of the, um, the similarities between the two cases. Yeah. But then, you know, we have Travis Crouch, um, you know, he was from the area. He, um, grew up and, um, 
worked at the church camp that was, you know, a mile and a half down the road from where Melissa's body was found. And then he went on um, several years after Melissa Witt's murder. He was um, arrested for kidnapping. He kidnapped a girl from a parking lot. He took her to a remote mountaintop. And um, she escaped with her life. And he's currently in prison. Oh, yeah. You know, thank goodness. But he's, Mm. he's in prison in Colorado. I do correspond with him. And of course he denies that, um, you know, he killed Melissa Witt and I'm going to be honest with you. I believe him, Mm. um, but he's not been officially cleared in her murder by law enforcement yet. But that is something that I still continue to work on because, you know, the more suspects that you can clear, you know, then you can really hone in on the folks that you've got and spend your time, um, you know, working those leads. And that's the thing, isn't it? They're not clear until they're clear. So you he, you may, you get a feeling that, I mean, you do, when you look at cases and stuff, you get a feeling of who you think is a strong contender to be a, a, a murderer or, you know, a culprit in this. But then you have those that you think, no, I really don't think, but I can't, you can't clear them 100% because there isn't that evidence to completely clear them. And that that makes it quite difficult for researching and for investigating a case like this. It does. And it's maddening. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just, it's maddening. And so, you know, I, um, and I'm in a unique position because I've literally talked to every suspect in the case, even now, you know, even before some of them are now deceased. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, before long, I may be the only living person that's had all of the contact with all yeah. of the suspects. And so, you know, I take that very seriously and log all the information I can, um, until we can get to a point where we have more definitive information and can make, you know, decisions for the case, you know, based on that. Mm. Yeah. Now there are some conspiracy theories in Melissa's <laughs> case. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Oh, I can. <laughs> I, I get a kick That's out the of it. Crazy, but... <laughs> aren't they? Some of these are mad. You know, one that I write about, you know, extensively is a woman named who I will call Sandy Jones. Obviously Mm. I can't use, you know, real names, but, um, you know, she is really, um, bent on this, um, conspiracy that, you know, there, there's a cover up in Melissa's murder, you know, it involves local businessmen and drugs and a kidnapped child. And, and it's just this crazy wild theory. And, you know, what I have found in the past seven years is that there are people that will attach themselves to these cases with information like that, that for whatever reason, um, it, it makes them want to interject themselves into the case. So mm. it's it's been a crazy ride. But yeah, Sandy Jones, that's, I, that's something <laughs> I will never forget. I'll be carrying that with me for the rest of my life. And we just interviewed two uh, law enforcement de- agents, detectives, and we kind of asked about questions about, you know, you know, how, how social media or how the public's input in the case or their, their suggestions or theories, how it affects them and how they investigate. And and they told us it just takes up time and and effort because every tip that they get, regardless of how crazy it is, they have to follow up on it. Mm -hmm. So it's true. Yeah, so you get these these conspiracy theories, and yeah, it is they might sound crazy, but it's their job to at least look into them and and see if there's anything to it. 
Yeah, and thanks to Sandy Jones, we've looked into quite a few of those. Um, <laughs> of course, it gets us back to the same place, you know, but you're right. Those do have to be looked at because you don't want to miss anything in a cold case, for sure, or any no. case, you know, that could lead you to the killer. Can you imagine if it was this wild theory that you thought that's absolutely nuts and then you, in the end, it finds out that actually that one that you disregarded was the answer to the case. That would just be awful. Uh, it would be, and you can't take that chance. No. I mean, you just can't. So in the book, you're really honest. It's a very honest representation of your thoughts and feelings throughout this um, throughout this whole investigation. And you're very honest about how it affected your personal life and your family. You say in the book that you've suffered from recurring nightmares, which are absolutely frightening, the nightmares that you dis- that you describe in the book. You also really scared me in the book when you wrote about receiving packages at home and, and when you were out you know, grocery shopping with your kids. It's scary the amount of messages that you've got that are less than friendly. Yeah, it's scary. It's been something that's been very life-changing for my family. Um, You know, we've had to take some extra precautions in terms of safety and and the way we're going to handle things moving forward. But, you know, it has given me at least the knowledge to impart to other people who want to become an advocate on the level that I've done for Melissa is that you need to think really long and hard about putting your name and your face to a cold case because you're going to get these times of these types of things that happen. It's just inevitable because there's so many different types of people and personalities that attach themselves to old, you know, to cold cases. Mm. So, you know, my husband has been a great source of strength for me. And, you know, one of the things he told me is like, you know, look, LaDonna, you've already done it. You're already out there. You Mm. can't quit now. And so, you know, we, we're going to do some things a little bit differently and we do, and we have a lot of security in place at at our home now and places that we work. And that makes me feel very safe. Um, But it is unnerving. You know, Mm. anytime I get a a package that's not marked in my mailbox, it it makes me nervous. Mm. I can imagine. It's quite scary. And I think when people read the book, they'll see how much personally um, you've put into this and how much how much of your life this has completely taken over investigating this case. And, and with no people say, oh, yeah, you're doing it for your financial reward. or whatever, But it's not because the proceeds of the book go to charity and everything you do is for Melissa Witt and for, you know, for charity and, and finding DNA DNA samples that then need to be tested and I think it's it's just testament to show how passionate you actually are about this about this case I appreciate you saying that I mean you know I there was a time where I felt like I had to explain myself all the time you know I get these Mm. messages on Facebook and you know how dare you do this you're exploiting Melissa and and you know there's just been some really horrible things said to me Mm. and I'm really now to the point where um I think after seven years of being this dedicated to this case Mm. um, and the amount of time, energy and money and everything else that I've poured into this, that I don't need to explain myself anymore. My heart is to solve the case because I want Melissa Witt to have justice. This is a tragedy in my mind. Mm. And um, I, I know the killer's out there and I know that he can be brought to justice and that and I know that she needs this kind of advocacy to make it happen. So I have to put all of it aside and just stay focused on the goal. And I think he will be brought to justice. I think it will happen. You put so much work in and I do think that there will be a solution to this case. And I think we'll be able to give justice to Melissa. 
I hope so. I mean, and I believe that. I mean, you know, I'm talking with investigators and with retired detectives every single week. Mm. You know, we're texting almost daily about the case. The book has blown the case up on a level that they never had anticipated. Good. Um, you know, the phones are ringing. You know, people are writing in. Everything that I had dreamed and hoped um, would happen is happening. And that is our best case scenario to get this case solved, to get as many eyes on the case and people saying, oh my goodness, I remember this. I mm. want to call it in. But, you know, I, you know, I would like to say too, that one of the reasons that I wrote the book the way I did from my point of view, not to make the book about myself, but it is about my journey in this case, is I wanted to be raw and vulnerable. So somebody out there that had information would maybe feel comfortable to say, I can do that too. Mm. I can be vulnerable and brave and I'm going to give this information that I have. So right now I'm, I'm just convinced it's going to work. I mean, it's just, there's so many great things happening in our case. Good. Now researching Melissa's case has brought lots of things to light, including horror man. Can you tell us who horror man is? I can. Um, that's probably the most frightening part of the case, but we had a tip come in. Um, basically that tip led us to something that's called, um, death fantasy, death fetish, um, you know, pornography and, um, stories. And that's where I did some undercover work with someone else for about a year, um, into that community. And it's really dangerous. These people are fascinated with, um, the thought of murdering women. And, you know, at any given time, there's about a hundred thousand people that are into this type of thing uh, throughout the world. And they gather in these online chat rooms and they talk about the different ways that they want to kill women. And that, that a hundred thousand people, just let that sink in for a minute. That is a huge community of people doing some scary stuff. Well, and doing some illegal stuff because, you know, yeah. what what we've done is a lot of research into what's illegal in what city, state and country. And, you know, because of our work, there's been several websites that have closed down. And I'm I'm so happy to take credit for that because mm. they, you know, found out we were looking into them. But through this research, you know, we've come across people who. Um, we're pretty convinced are committing real crimes and we've come across people who are funding real snuff films and, you know, they're doing things that are just incredibly frightening. And it's an important part of this journey because these people are dangerous. They'll tell you that they're not, they'll tell you this is fantasy. Um, but there is something inherently wrong with anyone who is fantasizing about killing another human being. Definitely. So, um, there's more to say about this, um, you know, and I, I intend to, um, pretty much throw the doors open to the internet community that is death fetish. So how does Horror Man fit in with the death fetishes then? What, where does he fit into all that? So we found him in an online forum and, um, he was posting some things in these death fetish forums that was so frightening uh, I was convinced, and I'm still convinced to this day, that he's talking about real crimes. And in fact, I came across um, one post that was so scary to me because I, I believe to this day it was about the Whit murder. 
Oh my gosh. And, um, you know, essentially horror man found me. He, mm. he found the real me <laughs> and, um, I've dealt with some pretty serious, um, harassment from him since then. You know, he's emailed me, he's called me, he's sent me flowers. Um, he's just done a variety of things, you know, to kind of taunt me. And so it, it, it's very dangerous. I think that he is a criminal. I, I can't tell you for sure if he was involved in Melissa's murder, but I can tell you that, um, the things that he's done and said have been, it'll blow your mind. It's pretty frightening. You, and at the end of the book, because there is a, there is an email, isn't there in the book from horror man to you, you can actually read his email in the book. Well, the, the book, well, the book ends with a, an email from the Vermilion Strangler. Oh, it's a Strangler, and, yeah. But it does turn out to be they're one and the same. Oh. So, yes. Yeah. So, and the, and the email's pretty frightening. It I mean, is. He's, it's horrible. It's creepy. You, you know, but this is what, where the case is gone, and I have just made a vow that I will take whatever road I have to to get her justice, and so this is just part of it. And you finish, unfortunately, at, at the end of the book, you finish with a letter to Melissa's killer. I can imagine you'd have a lot that you actually want to say to him. How many drafts did that letter take? I can't imagine you did that in one. No, it was many, 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 yeah. many, because, you know, that's something that sometimes, you know, I, I can't sleep at night and I'm staring at my ceiling and I'm thinking about what I would say to him and what I will say to him someday. Mm. Right. And, and I just took the best of everything that is ever, you know, I've ever thought about saying to him and put it in that letter. So I really condensed it. Um, but those are the highlights. Those are the things that I want him to know. I think it's important that he knows that I'm looking for him every single day. Do you think he's read and, the uh, book? I, I do. Yeah, I do. I think so. I think he's ordered several copies, actually. Mm. So um, I, I feel like I correspond with him um, pretty regularly, actually. And um, I think the books made him incredibly nervous. And I'm glad for that. You know, it's it's a tense situation for me right now because mm. it's one thing for me to have done the work I've done and I won't say behind the scenes, but you know, the Facebook page and, mm. and you know, the podcasts that I have been a guest on, but it's a completely different thing to put this book out. Mm. And I think that took it up a notch for him. And it's, it's going to be interesting. I think there's going to be a lot to report in the months, months ahead. Mm. Now, if you did have the chance to meet with the killer, would you do it? Oh, in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Um, I would love to be the one to bring him in. I'm a private investigator. Remember in the state of Arkansas, I could actually arrest him. <laughs> you can, um, yeah. I could, but you know, I, you say that and I really do feel like I've had contact with the killer already. Mm -hmm. I think this is somebody that I do talk to and, um, I don't have any regrets about that. I think that he sees me as a threat and he should. Um, because I cannot stop shining light on this case until his secret is revealed. So, I mean, the answer is yes, no hesitation. That I can, because this, the whole story of this and reading your book is like a film. And because I know you and because I speak to you a lot and I know, I know personally what you've put into this, I think that when you read the book, you kind of get, you, you get an understanding of just how much, there is within this case. I mean, we we know because we investigate stuff ourselves and we know how much paperwork there is and case files there are. 
But this one case has literally taken so much from you. I would love to for you to have that day, for you to be able to st- stand there and say, I did it. I got justice for Melissa. We've done it. I think that day will come. And I'm really excited for the day it comes for you. Thank you. I want that so, so much. You know, I, I regularly visit, um, you know, where Melissa and her mother are laid to rest. And I was just there a couple mm. weeks ago and I, you know, I told them we did it. The book is out, the information's coming and it, justice is going to be here. And I just, I believe that with all of my heart and, you know, my team believes that and, and we're just going to stay focused on that. And I, I can hardly wait. I mean, you know, the wheels of justice have turned very, very slowly in this case, but they are turning and that's important. That's very important. Now, you do have something very exciting and exclusive to tell us, which we are so very privileged to share with this group of people and our listeners. First, can you tell us what this is? Yes, and I'm so excited to talk about it. So, um, The Girl I Never Knew is actually the first book in a series. Um, we did not want to tell anybody that in the beginning. And um, I hinted towards it because it ends with a cliffhanger. But <laughs> um, there's another book coming um, pretty quickly, October 28th, a book, uh, the second book in the series entitled Strangled um, will drop. And I am so excited to get this book out. It it's just going to blow everybody's minds, but um, it, it's book two in a series that we're calling who killed Melissa Witt. I am so, so excited for people to read this book. I tell everybody to read the, the first book and a lot of people that I've told have read it and have come back to me and said, Oh my God, it's amazing. And I couldn't put it down the same as me. I just couldn't put it down. And then when you gave me a couple of chapters of the second book, I, again, I messaged you literally within a half an hour and was just, oh my God, it has opened up just in the first three chapters, opened up a whole new world that we didn't even know existed. And it's absolutely mind blowing. It's like, you just can't believe that this thing, this kind of thing is actually real. And I can't wait to read the rest of the book. Well, thank you for saying that. And I'm uh, you, the support that you, both you've shown has just been amazing. And I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm excited for people to read this book, you know, um, one, because, uh, you know, what we talked about earlier and mm-hmm. my need for, for justice for Melissa, but two, this, this book is meant specifically to shine a light on a community that should not exist. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And um, I want the world to know that there are people out there who are glorifying killing our daughters, our sisters, our mothers, our friends, that they are specifically targeting women, Mm. even if they call it fantasy. And I think it's important for readers to see that um, the dedication that my team has to this case. And we brought a new team member on because of the book. She actually wrote the book with me. Her Mm. name is Alicia Lockhart. And um, I think that people are going to be shocked about what we've been doing the past year. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I think the book is really going to shock people. So in the best way, Um, and I'm just anxious to get it out there. I really am. So, you know, releasing it a couple of days before Halloween seems incredibly fitting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, It really does. (laughs) 
Now, in The Girl I Never Knew, you had a Ford that was written by one of my good friends, Nick, from True Crime Garage. And Strangled has a Ford written by another one of my good friends. Can you tell <laughs> us who that is? I can, because she's one of my dear friends, too. And it is Cherry with Crimepedia. Yeah. And I am so excited. I don't, because you make me cry. Because I was so, when you asked me to do it, I was literally in tears. <laughs> I feel very, very honoured. Very honoured to be your friend to start with. And then very honoured to be able to to write that and to be given uh, an insight into this book. And I just want everyone, everyone to read it. And it makes me so happy when I read um comments from people that are telling me how good the first book is and I just tell everyone go and buy it it's brilliant we've had a lot of our listeners that have come back to us and said we've got the book I was reading it on the train I finished it in 24 hours and it's just testament to what a fantastic writer you are and how brilliant you are at put un, you know throwing open cases like this where can people pick the book up where can you get it from so as soon as it launches on October 28th, mm-hmm. it'll be everywhere books are sold. So um, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, you name it, you'll be able to get it. And I'm, I, I'm excited. I mean, it's a little bit scary because, you know, we are taking mm-hmm. on head on or fighting the death fetish community. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's worth it because I think that e- even if they don't have any ties to Melissa's death, um, there's enough there that we had to look at them, but two, there's enough there that says to me, we have to stand up against them. We yeah. cannot let anything else happen. Um, that's even remotely similar to what happened to Melissa Witt. So, you know, it's, you know, it's like the first book, it's a labor of love. Um, it, it's a little bit darker journey than what you're, you know, what you'll read about in The Girl I Never Knew. But I think it's really important and I hope that people pick up a copy. And I think that the way that you and Alicia meet each other, that was the bit that I had was literally mouth open reading. So definitely get yourself a copy of this book. Um, get the first first book first, because I promise you it'll be an absolutely fantastic read and it helps keep things go in in Melissa's case um, and it just gets her name out there and it gets more people knowing about the case which is exactly what we want and need and then get yourself a copy of the second book because again I promise you it is an absolutely brilliant brilliant book thank you for saying that thank you so much absolutely now before we go LaDonna in addition to being an author and having these books you also um, run a non-profit called All the Lost Girls. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what the goal of All the Lost Girls is? Absolutely. So All the Lost Girls um, is an organization that um, was founded in memory of Melissa Witt. And essentially the, the mission of that agency is to focus on cases that are female strangulation cases that are unsolved. Um, it's so important. And I felt like that particular very restricted mission was something that I was very led to do. Um, I'm in a really unique position because I've almost become an expert on female strangulation cases mm. in the United States because of my work on the Wit case. And so we have got an amazing board that um, are very dedicated to this cause and my friends, Morgan and Cherry are on that board. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've just, we've got people who are really dedicated and mm. our first case that we are really focusing in on is, um, is Melissa Witt's case. And that's going to help generate even more 
publicity for her case. So I'm, I'm very grateful. And um, that organization will continue to grow. And yeah. I'm, I'm anxious to see what happens. And we're very proud to be part of it. Very, very proud. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for joining us. And I hope that this helps to spread the word for Melissa's case and that every single person that reads that book is another set of eyes, another set of ideas, another set of things that might be able to help um, in finding justice for Melissa. And one day we will definitely get justice for her. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I, I believe that too. Justice is coming. I think we're just we're just almost there. But thank you so much, guys. You've been listening to Crime Conversations, recorded live at CrimeCon London 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk.